0: My major pain has has been invisible.
1: The mobility aid makes it better. It gives me freedom. It can get to the core beliefs we have about ourselves. Don't ever think you're alone.
0: Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Kristen about her history with chronic illness, including chronic migraines, celiac disease, fibromyalgia, two bouts of COVID that left lingering symptoms, insomnia, and remaining mysteries. Kristen's chronic migraines started when she was just 9 years old. Her issues with celiac disease started in high school and she was diagnosed around 19 or 20. And her chronic pain that is currently diagnosed as fibromyalgia started in college. Through all of it, she's had an extremely difficult time getting doctors to listen to her, to take her seriously, and to try to take appropriate steps to help her through her chronic pain. If my memory is correct, this is the first time we've talked about celiac disease on the podcast, which is an autoimmune disease characterized by an immune reaction to eating anything containing gluten. Which is something that I was very interested in because I myself have been eating gluten-free for over a decade at this point. It was something that several doctors recommended to me years and years ago, and I tried it out and felt like I did notice a slight improvement in my overall pain symptoms. So getting to talk to somebody about celiac, you know, she has to take it very, very seriously. If she's at a restaurant, she has to ask the servers if they can change their gloves and wipe down surfaces. Uh, She has to be extremely careful. Kristen's doctors believe she has an additional autoimmune disease because she had a positive ANA test, but her doctors weren't able to narrow down which autoimmune disease they believe she has, and diagnosed her at that point with fibromyalgia. Kristen introduced me to this idea that fibromyalgia itself might be an autoimmune disease. Apparently, there's a research study that is claiming as such. This is something that I had not heard before. I tried to do a little bit of research about this, and Everything I see is contradictory, so I have no idea. <laughs> but it sounds like there is some, still some ongoing research being done into whether or not fibromyalgia might in fact be an autoimmune condition. According to my quick research, I'm seeing that some people believe it's a neurological condition or a condition of the central nervous system, and then some others believe that it could be autoimmune, and, you know, others still have absolutely no idea. And that's the frustrating thing about fibromyalgia, is that it is often just used as a diagnosis of exclusion for a process in the body that we don't quite understand. But in Kristen's case, with a positive ANA test, there is reason to suspect a, another autoimmune condition, but she's really struggling to get doctors to fight and try to figure out what it is. Kristen has tried so many things to try to help with her chronic pain. She's tried Botox injections to stop migraines, but that only made it worse. She's getting ready to try a nerve ablation to see if that will help cut her pain levels down. She's tried tons of different medications, different therapies, and she'll talk us through the things she's tried that she feels have helped and warn us against some that she feels have caused more harm than good. We'll also talk about the difficulty of having family and friends that just don't understand, not just doctors, but the people in your personal life, not understanding what you're going through, not believing you, and how finding community through the internet and through TikTok specifically has been very helpful in Kristen's case. This was a very fun conversation. I had a blast talking to Kristen. You know, it's what we do on this show. We talk about hard things and laugh laugh our way through it. (laughs) So it's a really fun conversation and also very informative, super interesting. I'm really excited to share it with you today. We'll get to it in just a couple minutes. So, as I just mentioned, uh, I personally have been eating gluten-free for a little bit over a decade, and it's something that came up on this episode, so I want to give you a little context. So, I've been seeing this gastroenterologist for a couple of years, and I have this mystery pain in my upper stomach. That we've been trying to figure out what it is, and along the course of that, he did uh, upper endoscopy. He's done an MRI enterography. He's done all sorts of tests and haven't, hasn't been able to find anything wrong. And I, I finally was talking to him about, you know, I've been eating gluten free for like a decade. Um, I've never had the celiac test or anything like that, but. I started eating gluten-free because doctors recommended it, and I seemed to feel a bit better when I eat gluten-free, so I just continued to do so. So, he wanted me to go back on gluten and then have the celiac test done. So, for the first time in like a decade, I went to town on some gluten, and it just so happened that I was uh, scheduled to record this conversation with Kristen that you'll hear today during the time where I was eating gluten. And I was just, you know, having croissants and, uh, you know, cheese danishes and just, pasta, everything. It was fantastic. And when I recorded this conversation with Kristen, it was in around the beginning of this time where I was trying gluten again, and I had not felt any worse at all. And I was thinking to myself, it's like, wow, have I avoided gluten for 10 years for no reason? And started, you know, feeling a little bit crazy about that. But after recording this discussion over the next few weeks, I really started to feel rough. <laughs> I started to feel like maybe the gluten was catching up with me. I, I was having some pretty severe gastrointestinal distress. Let's just say things stopped moving. And when they were moving, they weren't moving in a straight line. Uh, <laughs> (laughs) I won't be any more specific than that. Started to have some really intense bloating. It's like, wow, none of my clothes fit anymore, but I did go off gluten and a lot of my issues went away. I did the celiac test while I had to eat gluten for at least two weeks and then do the celiac test, and I never got the results. And I've written to my gastroenterologist and I said, hey, you know, I went on gluten for a while as you recommended. At first, it seemed fine, but after a while, not so good. Um, Whatever the celiac test says, I'm pretty sure I'm at least gluten intolerant or maybe I have like an inflammation issue of some kind. Um, And he never responded, I never got the test back, and the last time I talked to him, even though he's been great for years, he just completely brushed off everything I was trying to say and was just trying to end the telehealth appointment before I even said anything. So, I have no idea what's going on with that. I'm feeling pretty upset that I, I feel like this good relationship that I've had with this doctor for years just completely fell apart all of a sudden. I have no idea what's going on in my stomach still, but I'm back off gluten, And I feel like I've made a little bit of improvement since going back off gluten. So I don't know, just wanted to share that story because I felt like it was uh, pertinent to the conversation we have today. I got an email this week from a new listener, Jennifer, that I wanted to share. It says, Hi Jesse, just sitting in the waiting room at a doctor's office. I just subscribed and wanted to say hello and thank you for your podcast. I myself have long COVID slash chronic fatigue syndrome and I'm really in a phase of mourning my old life. I truly feel like so much has been taken from me. Unfortunately, I am not alone. I truly wish others didn't have to suffer like I do, but I appreciate the insights and stories from others. I'm also a mom to young kids, so it's been a huge adjustment on the whole family. Greetings from Austria. Am I your first subscriber in Austria? Best regards, Jennifer. Jennifer, thank you so much for reaching out. I'm so glad you found the show. I'm sorry to hear that you are going through what sounds like a really hard time. Um, And I totally relate to what you're saying, you know, something that comes up a lot on the show is this idea of mourning your old life. That adjustment period when chronic illness strikes can be incredibly traumatic. You know, long COVID in particular is one that is just so sudden, you know? We're all at risk of, of getting long COVID. And... It's it's this new chronic illness that has permeated society, and you you know you aren't alone. There are so many people fighting through this horrible illness, and there is so much research being done, um, and there's so much potential for the scientific community to find ways to help in the future. Uh, you just never know. You know the important thing is to keep fighting, keep living for the moment, find things that make you happy each day and treat yourself to those things you deserve happiness and you deserve good health and even though there's this huge barrier in the way of that you know it can still get better And I really hope that it does for you. Um, And I did send Jennifer an email saying that if she wanted to come on the show and share her story, I would love to feature you on the show. Um, I'm really, you know, anyone who wants to share their story, I'm always open to that. Please reach out to me, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. I know I get a lot of healing from speaking about it out loud, and I want to provide this uh, platform to anyone who wants to do the same. And I'm also very interested in doing an episode about long covid You know, we touch on it a little bit in this episode today because Kristen has some uh, asthma symptoms that became way worse after multiple bouts of COVID, but Kristen was also already dealing with chronic pain for years and years before COVID came into existence. I'm really interested to talk to someone on the show who was healthy up until COVID struck and then joined the chronic illness community. I actually have someone that we've been trying to record for a couple of months now, but their illness has prevented them from being available. So, we're, we're just continuing to try to reschedule and hopefully we'll get there someday. But, um, you know, for anyone who's struggling with long COVID, I think it would be powerful to do an episode about that to share someone's story. So, if you're interested, absolutely reach out. As for whether or not Jennifer is our first subscriber in Austria, I'm not sure. I actually hopped into the statistics to check it out. Our top 10 countries that listen to this podcast, a majority is from the United States, but we also have listeners in Canada, Australia, the United Kingdom, Germany, Sweden, Ireland, Belgium, India, and Austria. We've had 24 downloads from Austria. So, Jennifer, if you've listened to 24 episodes, then that's all you. And yes, you're the first. While checking out the statistics, I noticed that we crossed a milestone in March, which was the first month that we had over a thousand downloads of the podcast in one month which was super exciting to see. You know, the, the listenership has been growing, our community is growing, and I am thrilled to be, to be here creating this show, thrilled that you're here listening to it. It's, you know, something that I look forward to so much each week, just producing an episode and having a moment to say hi to all of you and then sharing these conversations. It's just such a wonderful thing in my life. So thank you for being a part of it. Thank you also to whoever it was that left us a five-star rating this week on Apple Podcasts. We are up to 27 ratings with a 4.9 out of 5, which is fantastic. We're so close to 30. I want to hit that even number of 30 ratings. So if you have not left a positive rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, please do so. It's extremely helpful to help the show reach new listeners. If you'd like to connect with the podcast, we are on social media on Instagram and TikTok, both at Major Pain Podcast. You can leave a comment on any episode of the show on our website, MajorPainPodcast.com. And if you'd like to financially support this show, which is massively, massively helpful, I am so hopeful to someday turn this into a full-time career. You can head over to Patreon.com slash MajorPainPodcast to sign up for monthly contributions to support this podcast. Subscriptions start at just $2 per month, and everyone who signs up on Patreon gains access to monthly bonus episodes with myself and my partner, Andy, talking about you know, our health journeys, what we're watching on TV, and any questions that our patrons have. So uh, it's a lot of fun. I hope you'll check it out. Extra special thank you to our top-tier Patreon producers who helped to support this show with a massive contribution of $25 per month, Chris Fowler, Steve Kavanaugh, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. You can learn about all the ways to support this podcast on our website at majorpainpodcast.com slash support. I'll remind you as we get into this episode today that I am not a medical professional. I am a content creator, so please do not take any medical action based off what you hear on this podcast without first consulting your doctor. It's important to me to share the truth and to try as hard as I can to make sure that information on the show is accurate, but I am not able to do that to a medical degree (laughs) because I do not have a medical degree. So, like I said, make sure you are not taking any action without first consulting your doctor. And with that, we'll jump into our fantastic conversation with Kristen about her multiple major pains, including fibromyalgia, chronic migraines, and celiac disease. Kristen, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited to chat with you today. We've uh, been in touch for at least a month now. I've been excited to hear your story and we're finally on the day. We get to chat. Let's do it. (laughs) So Kristen, why don't you tell us about yourself?
1: Um, So I am in my 20s and I live in Massachusetts. I am a teacher and I live with my boyfriend and my dog.
0: Awesome. What kind of dog do you have?
1: Um, she is a Tibetan Terrier. She is a little white fluffy dog. She was my grandparents' dog. So she's 16 years old and she means the world to me.
0: Wow. When did you adopt her?
1: Um, two years ago. So my grandmother had been sick and I'd been, um, taking care of both of them, but, mm-hmm. um, she got sick, sicker quickly. And then, so I took the dog and so I've had her for two years now.
0: Yeah. I, I love little white fluffy dogs. <laughs> yeah, <me too. laughs> yeah. I had, a uh cockapoo he just passed away about a year ago um at 17 yeah Yeah. but yeah he was the absolute best i i still feel like i'm hearing him like breathing at the foot of my bed sometimes you know (laughs) oh wow they just become such a part of you
1: yeah we thought we were gonna put her down earlier in the month but she pulled through
0: wow yeah it's it's tough with older dogs you know because you just know it's coming but you don't know when
1: exactly yeah
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, Kristen, let's get into your health situation. So, what is your major pain?
1: Okay, so I have many of them. (laughs) I would say the biggest is fibromyalgia, migraines, so chronic migraines too, Um, asthma, celiac disease, um, and I had COVID and I've had lingering symptoms. I've had COVID twice. Um, I also have insomnia and then some things I'm not quite sure I haven't figured out.
0: Yeah, so like a complex pain situation... With some mysteries on top. Definitely. Wow. When when did all this start for you?
1: Um, so I started with migraines when I was nine years old. And those were in my family. So my mom kind of knew what I was saying. And I remember just that first week having a migraine for a week straight. And I stayed home from school. And I was in the hospital. Um, my pediatrician's office in the hospital, like the ER, trying to figure out what was wrong with me. I think I was even admitted at one point. Um, and since then, it's just gotten worse in the sense that there's not a huge gap between my migraines. Sometimes they're daily or they're just lingering.
0: Wow. And you know, I know people know migraines are headaches, but tell us about your migraines. Like what do your migraines feel like? How long do they last?
1: Um, So I get like an aura. I usually get a visual aura, but sometimes it's just like a tingling pain in my head. Um, And then the pain usually hits, nausea, sometimes vomiting. Um, Mine lasts anywhere between like a day and like three to five days. But then I also have, I think it's called a postdrome, where you feel almost hung over from your migraine. I get that a lot.
0: Wow. What, what sort of visual auras do you get?
1: Um, oh, I actually made a few TikTok videos about this. Oh, cool. I see um, stars, half my vision field sometimes will just disappear. I think it's usually the left. Um, and then sometimes I see like little squiggly lines.
0: Oh, interesting. So, it just turned on when you were nine years old and you have no idea why?
1: Yeah, pretty much. I just, I blame my mom and her family. (laughs) 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 They all have them. Most of them have outgrown them, but I haven't been so lucky.
0: Wow. So, it's just assumed to be something genetic. Yeah. Um, So, when it starts at nine years old, how do you integrate that into your life? I mean, it sounds like you you took a week off school, go to the hospital, try to figure everything out. But then if it doesn't go away, Mm -hmm. how do you get used to that as a nine-year-old?
1: Um, yeah, looking back, I don't know how I did. Like, I remember my mom, like, I remember going to my mom and saying I have a migraine, and she would give me like my medicine. Um, and there were times where I'd have to stay home from school or miss activities. But I, I remember specifically in high school, being really hard on myself and thinking, uh, because the school I went to was very athletic. And um, and I would sit there and think, like, wow, how is everyone doing this right now when their head feels like this? Hmm. And then it dawned on me, like, wait a minute, their heads don't feel like this. And so, <laughs> I, I knew that, but then I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, totally. It's It's really hard to, to remember that what we all experience as individuals is only what we are experiencing. You know, like, we'll have an opinion about something. Or we'll see a movie and say, this is the worst movie I've ever seen. But then someone else likes it. And it's like, what? You know, people think different things about things and have different experiences. Um, you know, we're all there's so many of us and we're all just one individual and we only experience our lives. So our lives feel the most important to all of us. But yeah, it's just it's bizarre, you know, the variety of experience that other humans are having out there.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, oh, you're not in pain all the time. What is that like?
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know what that's like either, but (laughs) is there anything that you've tried for your migraines that has been helpful?
1: Um, so right now I'm just on, um, like abortive migraine treatments, but I have tried Botox for migraine. When I was in college, I went through two rounds where they put, I don't know, 20 or 30 different needles in different locations in your head, um but my migraines actually got worse after that and both times ended up in the er wow. so that didn't work for me um and that's usually what i have to tell doctors for them to believe me like how severe my migraines are that i've done botox and it hasn't worked um, wow. so I'm just right now abortive medications
0: that's something I've, I've actually haven't heard about that using botox to stop migraines what is the theory behind that
1: oh um that is a good question. I think it's supposed to like relax the muscles is what I think. Okay. I don't actually know, but it's usually like once you've gone through, they put you on like preventative medications um, and none of those work for me. Those have all given me awful side effects. And then like when you get to a certain point, they recommend that you go for Botox and they usually say that you do like three rounds before you call it quits. But mine was so bad. I couldn't make it to the third round, but they, I do have people, like one of my friends gets it done every so often. Like you have to go in routinely and. I don't know every couple of months or a few times a year. Um and it does help some people. It reduces like the amount of headaches that they have or migraines that they have a month. But I wasn't lucky enough for it to help me.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like preventative stuff didn't work either, but abortive uh treatments do do help?
1: Yeah, um sometimes they do, not always, but it's about all I have, which yeah. is something.
0: Which which abortive treatments do you try?
1: Um Oh, I'm blank. Oh, you um, you brevly has probably been the best one. It I want to say like fifty percent of the time works, and then I just take, feraset um, the rest of the time.
0: Okay, well it's good to have something in your back pocket to try. You know, fifty percent of the time is is fifty percent better than zero. <laughs>
1: that is so true. Yeah. So okay, yeah. you start
0: with migraines, and then it sounds like you start to layer uh, pain on top of pain. So what was next?
1: Um, So, sort of, what was next was celiac disease, but my diagnosis for that didn't go smoothly. Um, mm-hmm. That is also genetic. My mom has it, so my mom was diagnosed probably shortly after I started having the migraines. My mom was diagnosed, and she had my brother and I tested. We underwent um, an endoscopy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mine was awful. I woke up during mine and was trying to pull the tube out of.
0: Oh my, my god! god. <laughs> wow. Um,
1: so I think because of the diagnostic criteria at the time, they said that we didn't have it. But in high school, I started having a lot of pain. And after I eat, I would be on the floor because my stomach would hurt so bad. So um, I just started going gluten free as much as I didn't think I could do it and didn't want to do it. And then I eventually got the testing done and they confirmed because it enough time had passed that the criteria had been updated and, and they said, yeah, you do have celiac disease. And you did when you had the test done the first time.
0: Wow. Well, this is super interesting. So <laughs> I, I have also had an endoscopy checking uh, for celiac disease among other things. Um, and yeah, they put you under and they stick a tube down your throat and look at the, uh, the upper area of your stomach. So how did you wake up during that? Did they make a mistake with the um, anesthesia?
1: I think so. I think that was when we discovered that sedation doesn't work on me and I need general anesthesia. Mm. Um, And I know, so my mom is a nurse and she has said, based on articles she's read, that chronic pain patients, our brains are different because our pain changes our brain. Um, Mm. My mom actually does anesthesia. So I think it has something to do with that because I'm still, when I get a procedure done, I have to clarify with them that I need general anesthesia because sedation won't work on me.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Okay. Yeah, totally. And you know, I actually just had the celiac test done. Like, I I don't have the results back yet, but I ate gluten free for 10 years, because a bunch of doctors told me to, because I have this mystery illness. And I'm I'm waiting to hear back, but I've I've started eating gluten again, because it's like, why not? You know, I don't, I haven't gotten better without it. And I haven't gotten worse on the gluten. So, I'm now just like, I think I just ate gl- gluten free for 10 years for no reason.
1: <laughs> oh my God, that's terrible. On top of being in pain, you can't have the good food.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, so you know,
1: it's negative.
0: I do think that there is something to like uh, eating an anti inflammatory diet, you know, because I, I had years where I was relatively okay. And I think that maybe the diet contributed to that. But whatever's going on with me has gone past that point. And. Yeah. And I am now of the mind that, like, I've done so much food restriction without knowing exactly why. And I just want to throw it all out the window and just eat croissants. And it's been really fun. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I shouldn't be talking about that to someone with celiac disease. But
1: no, you know, I feel the same way about sugar because people say that to me about sugar, chocolate, caffeine, oh, that'll help your migraines. And I've tried it and it doesn't. And I have this conversation with one of my family members almost daily. I'm like, I'm already suffering. I'm in pain. This is my one joy don't take that,
0: it away. From me. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. I, I used to feel like I have to try all of these different things, everything that anyone recommends, you know, you got to try it to, to rule it out. And everyone has a thought, you know, have you tried yoga? Um, Oh my God. yes. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I hate that question. The I know over at that point. I, yeah.
0: exactly. And I love yoga and I do yoga, but yes, I have tried yoga, you know, right. <laughs> um, But yeah, so you've been gluten-free since then, it sounds like. And how old were you when you were diagnosed?
1: I don't know. I don't actually remember, but I was probably 17 or 18 when I decided to eat gluten-free and I was diagnosed maybe a year or two later, I want to say. Okay, yeah, yeah. So you (laughs) did it first. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, You mentioned that. You went gluten-free and then found out you needed to. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so interesting. Yeah, my doctor also told me that I had to eat gluten to do the celiac test because- You do. Yeah. Did you have to do that as well?
1: Honestly, I can't remember. I remember being really fearful of that. And I, I don't remember what they said. They might not have made me because of my situation and the mm. first test I had. I don't remember. That's a good question. Yeah. But I do remember being like, I'm going to eat Dunkin' Donuts if I have to.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's also super interesting that the endoscopy uh, showed that you didn't have celiac disease when you, in fact, did, uh, you know, proving that things are not always readily apparent. Sometimes you have to yeah. dig a little bit deeper.
1: Definitely.
0: So tell us a little bit about celiac disease. I I think you might be the first person we've talked to on the podcast with celiac disease now that I'm thinking back, but I have a bad memory, so who knows? Um, (laughs) But yeah, tell us a little bit about celiac disease. I'm I'm familiar with it and we're kind of talking past what it is, but but let's dive into it a little bit. Tell us about it.
1: Okay. So um, it is a food allergy, but it's more than that. A lot of people think it's just a food allergy. It's actually an autoimmune disease. Um, so it's wheat, gluten, rye, barley, and for some people, oats, they also make gluten free oats. And it's very like person to person. I can do some, my mom can't do any, mm. um, and you know, we get like these GI symptoms when we have it and we eat these foods. Um, but you can also have long-term damage to your body so you can get, um, cancer. I think no. I wrote down what right. Actually, there's somebody in my family who we think had that cancer. It's like a stomach cancer Um, because it will damage your intestines over time and you can become um, malnourished. And a lot of us have a vitamin D deficiency. So, like, my mom and I, we take vitamin D every day to make up for that. Our bodies don't process it the same way coming from the sun. We have to take the supplement.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow, that's great information. Thank you. You're so prepared. Uh, Before we started recording, Kristen showed me her notes. She's got, like, two pages of... Detailed information, which is amazing. I mean, (laughs) I always wing it. So I'm really impressed when people come prepared for the podcast. Um, Yeah. So yeah, celiac is an autoimmune disorder. And is it, I I think, is it one of those situations where we don't know exactly what causes it, but we assume that there is a genetic connection?
1: Uh, There is a genetic connection. Yes.
0: Okay. That's a, that's a confirmed thing. Yeah.
1: It is confirmed.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, and your mom knew that she had it. Um, and you were having stomach pain, and you were still told that you didn't have it after having an endoscopy. That's very frustrating.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of when my mom was like, "Hey, you should just try it. Like, you don't need to go to the doctor and have that. Like, if it's, if it's gonna make you feel better, just try it." And I was like, "But no, bread." And then I was like, <laughs> "All right, I don't want to be in pain every time I eat and rolling around on the floor." So I did it, and definitely made a difference. And now I can tell um, when I go to a restaurant everything has to be like i have to talk to the server and say can you change your gloves wipe down surfaces try to eliminate the cross contamination risk um because if i am just a little bit contaminated i will i will get sick
0: wow wow that's that's really intense cuz yeah like i was saying i ate gluten free for 10 years but i never had to do anything like that you know i never i uh, like i would have like a bite of something Every now and again, or, you know, well, I mean, very, very rarely, but, um, but yeah, you have to be so careful. Like if you go to get sushi and they give you soy sauce, there's generally wheat in soy sauce. Uh, you have to ask for gluten-free soy sauce or tamari. You have to kind of learn all these things that wheat is hiding in because it's all over the place. (laughs)
1: I always say that like it's hiding in Twizzlers. Why? I love Twizzlers. It's hiding in there.
0: Wow. Yeah. I didn't even know that one. Yeah. I mean, there's, you have to check the ingredients on everything and it's, and and it's not just that wheat um, needs to be absent from the ingredients, but the preparation also makes a huge difference. Like you were saying about oats, like oats Mm -hmm. don't actually have gluten, but they are so often um, harvested with wheat that A lot of oats will trigger a celiac response, even without having actual gluten in the actual oat, which is terrifying, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's very true. And I'm usually really good about reading the packaging because I've been doing it my whole life. But I did have an episode um, maybe like a month ago where I didn't read the ingredients correctly. Mm. And I took a bite and I went, that is too good to be gluten free. And then it (laughs) wasn't when I got sick. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no.
0: (laughs) um so what are your favorite gluten-free substitutes do you have like gluten-free breads and stuff that you enjoy i
1: do that is a good question um there is a gluten-free bread from walmart so Udi's is like one of the top and i can't remember if it's Udi's or it's a different brand um but it is not refrigerated which makes a huge difference because it doesn't fall apart and it's not cold it's more like real bread um it's soft so i get it at walmart um in the just regular gluten free section, so not refrigerated. Um, I really like the brand Katz. That's K A T Z. They make like donuts and different desserts that taste pretty good, almost almost normal.
0: Yeah, awesome. My favorites are um, Fran's bread, Franz bread. F R A N Z makes a really good gluten free bread. I don't I know, know if it's on the uh, East Coast. Um, I like they're I think that they are actually from Seattle, uh, where I'm at. Or at least they have a factory here or something. Um, but yeah, Franz bread it makes an awesome gluten free bread. So good that I I would actually still get it even though I'm now experimenting with gluten again. Like there's actually there's, there's actually quite a few companies that make really good gluten free products, you know. Um, like my favorite sweet is Honey Mama's, which is, you know, kind of unrelated because it wouldn't be gluten anyway, but it's like a coconut chocolate, like I call it fridge chocolate. <laughs> um yeah, this is very... I
1: don't know it. Is unreal. it a West Coast thing?
0: I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It could be a, a Pacific Northwest thing. But they're, they're like these squares that are like chewy, chocolatey, coconutty thing. And they have different flavors. My favorite flavors are peppermint or coffee. Um, but yeah, you just you learn how to get by without gluten. You know, it seems like a really overwhelming thing to do. But I, you know, I did it for 10 years and felt like it wasn't that. Of all the things I've done for my health... Eating gluten-free was seemed hard, but you get you get used to it pretty quickly and is a very, very doable thing to do.
1: Yeah. And it's come a long way from the time my mom got diagnosed to now.
0: Because mm-hmm.
1: when she first got diagnosed, we were like, oh, there's really like no restaurants we can go to. Um, what was sold in the grocery stores was very limited. And now I can go almost anywhere. I discovered I could go to IHOP like a week ago and went there.
0: Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah,
1: yeah that was awesome. I've been there twice now.
0: Wow. They gluten- Every
1: weekend I'm asking my boyfriend, hey, do you want to go to IHOP? And like, really? <laughs>
0: yeah. They have gluten-free pancakes?
1: They do. And um, so I called them ahead of time to check about the cross-contamination thing, and they're pretty good about it. And I've not gotten sick the two times I've been.
0: Wow. That's awesome. And yeah. that's actually a really good point, is that it's really changed. You know, like, it depends, like, what community you live in, what part of the country you live in. There seems to be a lot more understanding in some places than Others that like some people really need to avoid gluten because it is, you know, going to make them very, very sick. Because it did kind of become this fad for a long time where like a bunch of people were eating gluten free that didn't necessarily need to, you know, myself included. And uh, um, yeah, yeah, it became like a weird cultural thing where all of a sudden people were being judged for not eating gluten.
1: I know. And I had kind of been annoyed by it because I was like, if I could eat gluten, I would. But at the same time, it definitely helped there be more products available to us. So I guess it's
0: okay. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's one of those things. It's like, why aren't we just letting people eat what they need to eat? Why are we judging other people's diets? Why am I getting dirty looks from servers when I ask if they have gluten-free toast, you know? <laughs> so once you start eating gluten-free with celiac disease, is that is that the treatment? Just 100% just eat gluten-free and you don't have to worry about anything else with celiac disease? Or are there... Other other issues that you need to be aware of.
1: Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think eating gluten free is the main part, but um, so I do have a GI specialist that I go see about every six months, and he will draw blood. Um, and sometimes he's detected like certain levels of gluten or whatever the protein is in my blood, and I didn't know that I was eating it, mm. um, or that I was having so much, and I had to figure out like what was contaminating me. Um, I also, I take, I do take a medication for my stomach. Um, I don't know if it's because of the celiac or something related, but I do take a daily medication and then I take the um, vitamin D every day.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: I think, so I think that's the treatment. And then like, I always keep Pepsid on hand if I accidentally get contaminated with gluten. Oh, okay. The symptoms.
0: So Pepsid can help. Um, does it help like get it through your system quicker?
1: Um, I think it just helps with the stomach pain. It's an antacid.
0: Okay. Interesting.
1: And then sometimes ammonium if things are really bad.
0: What does celiac poisoning, like gluten poisoning feel like? It's just intense stomach pain?
1: Um, yes, intense stomach pain. And then you have to go to the bathroom like quickly. And sometimes you're in there a while.
0: Okay. <laughs> so no fun. Okay, so we've got migraines and celiac disease. What what was next?
1: Um, Next was the fibromyalgia. When I was in um, college, I started having um, stiffness and just all over achiness and pain and days where I couldn't get out of bed. And I think I just assumed it was my migraines at first, which doesn't really make sense because obviously it wasn't, but I had already been dealing with that. So I'm like, oh, it's just that. Um, but my mom, again, she was just diagnosed with lupus. So I was like, she gets a diagnosis. I get one. So she was just diagnosed with lupus and told me that my symptoms were very similar to hers. So I went to my primary care who did a blood test, um, an ANA test. And so it was positive, which caused her to send me to a rheumatologist. Um, and I guess you can have a positive ANA and not have an autoimmune disease, but with my positive and my symptoms and my family history, they sent me, but they haven't been able to um, narrow it down to any one disease. Like for my mom, she has lupus, but it took probably close to 10 years for that to show up in her blood work. Mm -hmm. Um, So they just say it's fibromyalgia for right now, but I'm, I am seeking a second opinion because not that I don't think that fibromyalgia is real, obviously like I live with it, but You can have fibromyalgia, I'm learning, and you can have lupus and you can have um, EDS, which I actually have a knee injury where I dislocated my knee because I hyperextended it. Hmm. Um, And that happens to me all the time. So I'm just trying to figure out what's going on there.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting that they would say, I've I've never heard anyone say that, that they had a positive ANA test, uh, which is, you know, auto antibody test, right? Is that what that is? I believe. I know I've had it done as well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, basically, ANA tests will, you know, point towards an autoimmune disease, um, which we know you already have. You already have celiac disease. Mm -hmm. um, But it sounds like they're they're thinking you might have another autoimmune disease on top of this, but they don't know which one because you're having all this chronic, constant pain. So, then they just label it as fibromyalgia and call it a day. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah
1: and they say be quiet and go home and deal.
0: <laughs> yeah, see this is not this isn't right. You know, like this this is really upsetting to me because I I I this keeps coming up on the the podcast. You know, I was also diagnosed with fibromyalgia at one point and told to just go live with it. Um and you know, as things got worse and worse, was told I didn't have fibromyalgia anymore. But the thing is is like living in chronic pain is awful and fibromyalgia is a is a way to indicate that you live in chronic pain and having yeah. a doctor verify that you have chronic pain can be extremely helpful and and there's a lot of research going on where i think there's a lot of people where like fibromyalgia being the cause of their chronic pain is is a reasonable diagnosis you know like there's a lot of situations where i think that that could absolutely be the diagnosis but Unfortunately, it's also used as a diagnosis of exclusion, where it's like, well, we don't know what's wrong with you, so we're going to call it fibromyalgia and send you home. And that's, that's what I take issue with. It's like, you're in a situation where they have proof, you know, they have proof of an autoimmune disease. And instead of digging deeper, they are calling it something that they seem to even think that it's not, just to, just to basically say, we don't know. You know, instead of saying, I don't know, they're saying, you have fibromyalgia,
1: Yes. Can I take you with me to my next appointment? (laughs) My mom and I tried to make this point to them that we we have celiac disease. And then they are saying that fibromyalgia is autoimmune, like that's coming out in their research. And so we said that, and we said, you know, my mom has an autoimmune disease and my immune system is terrible since I was a baby. I get sick all the time. I had scarlet fever as a baby. Um, I would get, pneumonia every year up until I was in college. And I figured out that there was a vaccine for that. And thankfully that has worked for me for the most part, but I get every cold, every flu I'm sick constantly, especially in the winter. And we're like, isn't this concerning? Don't you think that with everything else considered that maybe this isn't it? Yeah. Um, And they're just like, no. And um, (laughs) my God, I get so mad. They made me stay. So I was on a medication that did help me. I was on it for about 10 years and I spent literally the last two years since this last appointment, I actually haven't been back because I, I couldn't go back after that. I was like, I'm not going back. Um,
0: what was the medication but, you were on for 10 years?
1: Um, Duloxetine or Cymbalta.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've tried that. So I
1: finally just convinced them because I've asked every doctor I've come into contact with over the last two years to taper me off off of it because it's not helping my pain anymore. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be in so much pain if it was, and I'm having all the side effects like nausea. I wasn't able to eat Um, until they finally just tapered me off of it. And I don't wanna say that I feel amazing, but I feel better. Like my pain is the same, but I'm a little less nauseous and a little more awake. I'm just like, why do I need to be on this? And they're like, well, you're in a lot of pain. So if you're in a lot of pain, then you should be on this. And I'm like, well, I'm in a lot of pain, but this isn't helping.
0: Right. Totally. Yeah. See, th- th- this is the same sort of stuff that I've experienced too. It's just so infuriating. Uh, I saw, you know, I, I just started cycling from doctor to doctor for a while until I landed at the University of Washington. And one of the doctors I cycled through put me on duloxetine and I hated it. You know, I'm like this, I don't feel any better. I feel way worse. My dizziness is worse. And um, yeah. and I know that it helps a lot of people, you know, like I, from, from what he said, and, you know, even my new doctor asked me if I'd tried deloxetine. Deloxetine's is the new yoga everyone's got to try it but uh if it works right. for you that's great but if it doesn't work for you that then then you like with that doctor he's like okay well the duloxetine is not helping so i i think you know there's nothing that can help basically <laughs> it's like if this well, one literally. thing yeah
1: so we had a plan we said we asked about another medication one that is helping my mom and And this happens with every doctor. It's not just this one doctor. It's happened to me so many times, especially in the past two years, where we're like, this isn't working. What is your plan? What is the plan after this? And they don't have one. And they don't want to tell you that. They won't admit it. Hmm. And then so I've just started telling them how much pain I'm in. And then they get super uncomfortable. Um, And I've even had female doctors tell me, well, why don't we just put in a psych referral for you then? It must just all be in your head.
0: Oh, man. And I'm I'm like, it's not. No, it's not. It's not that's happened to me too. It's awful. It's just awful. You know, like, why is this the way that we're treated? And I, I, I think about it all the time. I think a big part of it is, is, you know, like doctors just being afraid to say, I don't know. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm really glad that you're seeking a second opinion. You know, like, I, like, you have something to go on. You have some evidence. You have this positive ANA test. There are so many autoimmune diseases Let's test you for every single one. Why aren't we doing that? You know, like, why can't we evaluate you for every single one and instead of just assuming that you have fibromyalgia, which I, I've actually never heard that referred to as an autoimmune disease before. Uh, you were mentioning that new research is pointing that direction. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's news to me.
1: Really think- oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, it had been kind of a debate if it was or if it wasn't. And there was an article, actually, we- I did write this down in my... Um- Okay. The Journal of Clinical Investigation Mm. did post um, something recently saying that it is assumed to be an autoimmune condition. Um, But another thing with doctors is that when they hit that point where they don't know and they don't want to say they don't know, It's also like they punish you because you didn't respond well to the medication or their plan. Like I had doctors try to put me. So I was on Lyrica before Duloxetine and then they want to put me back on Lyrica. And so I did it to please them, even though I knew it wasn't going to go well and it didn't go well. And then when it didn't go well, it was like it was my fault. And I'm like, well, I told you I've tried this before and my symptoms are awful. So I tried it again for you. And guess what? My symptoms are still awful. What now? And they're like, nothing. Sorry.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah, that exactly. Yeah. Yeah yeah, that, that's so true that you feel like you're being punished for, for their ideas not working. And yeah, I, it's, it's infuriating, you know, Like I still have relationships with doctors that that fall apart because what they recommend doesn't work. And it's like, what's important here? You being right or me getting better? You know? like, why am I, why am I seeing you as a patient to feed your ego or for me to feel better? Because I don't know if we agree on the reason that I am here.
1: <laughs> oh, literally, yes.
0: Wow. I'm sorry you're dealing with these frustrations, you know? Like, the it's we, we all do. Like, we all go through this. For some reason, chronic pain patients are just not believed. And, you know, we ha- just have to deal with this, like, constant gaslighting from doctors that we go to for help. Um and yeah, and I know that for for women it can be a lot harder because you know, uh, there there is like the secondary issue in medicine of um women not being believed. Uh mm-hmm. secondary is the wrong way to say that. Uh additional. No, not know. secondary, but additional problem of uh of women not being believed. And I I I'm a man and I was not believed. And I know I there's so many accounts of it being worse for women to to women just not even being able to get help. Um, and it's just, it's heartbreaking.
1: Yeah, I know. And I almost expect the male doctors to dismiss me, but then when the female ones do too, I get really mad. I'm yeah. still searching for a doctor who will listen to me and help me.
0: Yeah. Well, that doctor is out there, you know, just, you just got to keep looking. You got to keep looking. I'm, I'm, And it sounds like you are, you're getting that second opinion, but you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I have not kept count of how many doctors that i've seen but 99 percent of them have failed me you know and mm-hmm. that one oh, yeah. percent though the one percent is worth it it is worth it and that's that's out there that is possible and you know for people who persevere and keep pushing and keep asking questions keep knocking down doors like y- you can find that for sure
1: Yeah, um, I learned on TikTok that that is called a unicorn doctor. That's what they're being called (laughs)
0: because
1: they are rare. I I don't think they exist, but you found one, so hopefully I will.
0: Yeah, I Um, think I found one. (laughs) Fingers crossed. I didn't
1: realize either how how common um, this issue was for us chronic pain patients until I joined TikTok and I saw that alone that we're all being dismissed and gaslit and just living in pain and not being believed.
0: Absolutely. I know. And it's mind blowing. I mean, how has that changed your perspective to discover that it's absolutely not just you?
1: Um, Oh, immensely. It's been so helpful to have a community. Um, Especially because like my family and friends, as great as they are, they can't understand. And I feel like they get tired of trying to understand. So sometimes it's nice to just have that community of people who do understand. Um, I do out, although I do have, one best friend from college who is chronically ill as well. So she's kind of also, we've kind of guided each other through different things. Um, But it's also nice having that community on TikTok.
0: Yeah, for sure. Tell me about your your chronic pain that is currently being categorized as fibromyalgia. Is it like a widespread full body pain?
1: (laughs) Oh God, okay. It's a lot. Um, So it's, uh, so the migraines do fall under, that's one of those like dual category things. It does fall under the, um, the fibromyalgia. I also have, um, neck pain and shoulder pain. And I've gone, like I've gone to physical therapy and done like the strengthening because they'll say like, Oh, your neck is weak. Um, and I've gone and done the strengthening so many times, but they also like at physical therapy, they treat you like you're a regular patient when you're a chronic pain patient. So you can't do the same things. Mm -hmm. You have limitations. So that's a whole nother issue. So sorry. But, um, Shoulders, back. So, like, literally, my upper back and my lower back. Um, I'm actually getting my nerves ablated.
0: What uh, is that? In about
1: a month. So, they're going to burn the nerves <laughs> off to try to cut the pain. Um, and I'm told that they will grow back and I'll have to get it done again if it works. But they said you could get up to a year of pain free. I don't know. I posted a video about this on TikTok and the TikTok community who's been through it. Some of the answers were really disappointing, like that it was like a few months at most Mm. for most people. So I don't know. Um, I get pain in my hips. My legs are just like tired and achy, sometimes tingly. And then my feet, my feet kill me. And then in the morning, like my feet are super stiff and it's hard to walk when I first get out of bed.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a lot. What what keeps you going? How do you... You know, how do you get yourself out of bed?
1: Um, Well, it really helps having a dog because she's there whining. And I know that I have to run her out there because she's 16. Um, (laughs) If it worked for her, honestly, I don't know. Some days um, it's a real struggle.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that... (laughs) having a pet is 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 legit you know you either get up or you have to clean pee off your floor
1: yes literally it's like well (laughs) i guess i'd rather run her out than have to clean up after and so because she's so old and i have like a two-story house she can't do the stairs they're really steep so i have to actually carry her so i mean she's only like 20 pounds but i'm stiff and my feet and my back are hurting like immediately so like carrying her down the stairs is like oh
0: yeah (laughs) So, what was your next? Um, what was your your next addition to this sandwich of pain that we're building here?
1: <laughs> oh, okay. So, I have asthma, and I was diagnosed with that in middle school. Um, so, I have an inhaler that I use. I use albuterol. I do have another one, um, Flovent. I'm supposed to take it daily. I will admit, I've been really bad about that because I, there's so much medication I have to take every day. Um, but before I had COVID, so I had COVID in December of 2020. Mm-hmm. And again, this January 2022. So before I had COVID for the first time, I would just take my albuterol as needed, like usually exercise or cold weather, made my asthma worse. When I had COVID um, the first time, my symptoms were so bad. I felt like I had pneumonia that my PCP sent me to the ER um, to get a chest x-ray to make sure I didn't have pneumonia. And I didn't, it was just COVID. Um, I had to get a nebulizer for my own and I had to start uh, another daily medication for it that I'm still on. Uh, it was terrible. Like I was very short of breath. I couldn't even walk very far. Like I felt like my grandmother who had been in heart failure and like, she would get short of breath walking a few steps and that's what I was like. And I was like, Oh my God, this is awful. Um, and I started to get really dizzy, which I'd had a little bit of dizziness before COVID. When I was younger, I'd fainted a couple of times, and I would get dizzy. But um, yeah, my dizziness got really bad, and it's still, still really bad, and I'm not quite sure why.
0: Wow. So it sounds like your asthma symptoms were exacerbated by COVID, and it sounds really scary. Like you almost couldn't get enough oxygen,
1: Yeah. Like I was in the, um, (laughs) the ER waiting room and I had to go by myself because it was COVID times. Or I think like my boyfriend dropped me off, but had to wait in his truck. Um, and I had two separate waiting rooms. They had like a sectioned off COVID one where it was like, like they made another room, like put the walls up and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, and so if you had COVID or thought you had COVID, you had to go wait in there. And I was, in that waiting room and I called my mom and I was like, mom, I think I'm going to die at the hospital. Oh no. <laughs> it was, like, Looking back sounds dramatic, but I was scared.
0: Well, I mean, it was a hard time and a lot of people did die at the hospital. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I, I don't feel like we've even started to think about this yet as a culture about how many people died, you know, yeah. like we're all still kind of in survival mode and things are starting to relax a little bit. And I, I'm just like, when is it going to happen that we're going to stop and and like think about how many people we lost as a society? Because it's it's, you know, it's monumental. It's terrifying. Yeah. Have you been vaccinated?
1: Oh, yes. Um. So as soon as I could get the vaccine, I did. Um, the vaccine came out right as I was sick with covid. So my mom, because she was a nurse, was one of the first people who could get it. And when I had COVID, she was like, I better not be positive. Uh, I want to get my vaccine. Um, but she was fine. She got her vaccine. So I got my vaccine in, I want to say March. Yeah, I got vaccinated as soon as I could. So I had the two shots. I had Moderna um, and I did get my booster, which if you have autoimmune disease, I found out as I was getting my booster that you get the full dose and um, everyone else gets half. Oh, so I got another full dose. And as they're giving it to me, I'm like, wait, what do you mean that's the full dose? Because the first two vaccines um, made me sick. The second one, I was sick for two weeks. Wow. That was like, am I about to be sick for two weeks with this booster? Um, and I was sick for a few days, but it wasn't as
0: bad. Yeah, that's rough. I, I had Pfizer um, for the vaccine and the booster. And I've heard that Pfizer is a little easier on the system than Moderna. Uh, but- yeah.
1: That's what I've heard
0: too. But who knows, you know, like I've, <laughs> um, so, so you had COVID pre-vaccine and then you had it post-vaccine. How was it the second time? Sounds like you had the second <laughs> oh. time was post-vaccine and post-booster.
1: It was. Yeah, it was yeah. Post, post-booster. Um, it wasn't as bad, um, but it still wasn't great. I started getting, like, I didn't have the respiratory symptoms as bad, like a little bit, maybe I needed my inhaler um, and still was on the daily um, medication from the first time. And I still take that now, but I just started getting like really dizzy and weak um, and not feeling well. Other than that, I don't remember, but I do know like dizziness and weakness have stuck.
0: Yeah. What, so what symptoms, I mean, I, we talking, talking before we started recording, I know that you have some lingering effects from COVID So what do you feel like are your lingering effects?
1: Um, So the dizziness, I wonder if it's related to COVID um, because it's a lot worse than it was before I had it even the first time. And now every day when I stand up, um, I get lightheaded and dizzy. Um, Even a few weeks ago, I like full on passed out. I was standing up talking to my boyfriend and I think he left the room for a moment. Of course, that was when I blacked out. Um, but I like woke up as I was like leaned over on a piece of furniture going, whoa, did I just pass out? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't always pass out. Like I kind of trained myself or I should say my mom yelling at me as I'm fainting has trained me to just like drop to the floor and sit when I feel dizzy, like the first inkling of it. Um, but that was the first time in a long time that I'd passed out, but I have the dizziness daily um, and I've started just drinking, like, liquid IV and, like, trying to increase my cell intake. But that's something where I'm trying to figure out why it's happening um, because it doesn't seem – it's not even my normal.
0: Yeah. It's just tough. Like, we're in this, in this time where a lot of research is being done. But until it gets done, we still don't really know what the long-term effects of COVID are, you know? We know that people are experiencing them but we don't necessarily have the tools and the knowledge to help a lot of people yet but it's you know for anyone who's been dealing with chronic illness since before covid came around that's the norm you know like we're used to that
1: <laughs> yeah right it's like just another another thing
0: yeah yeah another another layer on top of layers on top of layers um, is, is that the full picture of your, I mean, this is a lot, you know, <laughs> is that the full picture of your, of your major pains?
1: I did I miss anything? I think that is. Yeah. Let me look at my notes here. Oh, I did forget one thing. I mean, yeah. So I forgot insomnia. So I have had to go to like a sleep clinic and this kind of relates to like the fibromyalgia and a lot of the other things like sleep is always interlinked with these issues. I feel like, um, Yeah, so since I was a kid, I've not been able to sleep at night. Like, it's always been an issue with my parents. I remember being at sleepovers, being really mad. Like, why are all my friends asleep right now? Why can't I fall asleep? And I still can't fall asleep at night. Um, Trouble falling asleep, waking up in the morning, like, is just awful because I'm not getting – I don't know if I'm not getting enough sleep or not getting restful sleep. I don't know what it is, but um, I'm still trying to figure that out. Like, I've gone to the sleep clinic and tried, like, the – sleep medication that they give you and it works, but I don't like it because I feel like I'm not getting restful sleep. So I'm still trying to figure out that balance of like, what can I do to allow myself to sleep? And like, I've tried like all the bedtime routines and what they call like sleep hygiene, like not having a computer or using your phone (laughs) before bed. Um, But it has helped and
0: I've done all that too. I got like, I'm laughing because I got these uh, blue blocker glasses, like those giant orange glasses. <laughs>
1: I have them, but they make cuter ones now.
0: Oh, good. Yeah. So I used to wear those every night um, for like an hour or two before going to sleep. And none of it worked. None of it helps me. No.
1: Um, no, I'm pretty sure I have a film on my computer too. That's supposed to block out blue light, but. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, I, you know, I use uh liquid melatonin. Like, the pills don't help me. Only the liquid Uh form helps me. And I can't sleep without it. Um, And, yeah, I've done a sleep study. Like, I've done all this stuff, too.
1: Yeah, me too.
0: Yeah, yeah. But, like, the the liquid melatonin works. So, I'm just like, okay, great. And it's continued to Mm -hmm. work for me. But if I don't have that, I just can't sleep. You know, I I will be up until, like, four or five in the morning every night. And I used to be up until four or five in the morning every night just waiting to fall asleep. Yes. Um, Yeah, it's it's awful. It's awful. And
1: then the... Yeah, the frustration of like, I should be asleep and I'm going to be tired tomorrow. Like it makes it worse. And then you can't sleep even, even more. Does the liquid melatonin, does it make you drowsy during the day?
0: Well, (laughs) (laughs) you're asking the wrong guy because I'm always drowsy during the day. I mean, I, yeah, just because of my health situation, you know, but I I am a million times worse without it. You know, I, I'm like non-functional. You know, and it's scary. It's like, I, I'm so thrilled that I have a thing that works for me. And it's like one piece of the puzzle I'm able to put down. It's like, yes, I can go to sleep now because I have liquid melatonin. But if I run out or if, you know, or if like for some reason I can't get any, it's like, I just won't be able to sleep. And then if I don't sleep, I don't function the next day. It's like whatever's yeah. going on in my body um, without proper sleep, it just, it's, goes out of control so like i just really can't even function at all um and i hate i hate being dependent on anything you know but like like you're saying like wanting to be weaned off deloxetine like mm-hmm. you don't want to be on stuff um but if something's helping it's like you know gotta keep doing it so i keep taking melatonin <laughs>
1: yeah yeah but um. yeah
0: like i've tried the pills and like the slow release and all you know all that stuff none of that works for me at all it's only the pure liquid and for that it doesn't even seem to matter the brand just any brand oh. i've tried of liquid melatonin has worked for me i take um i think uh i think i take three milligrams uh per night and maybe maybe five if i'm at max of five if i'm like really not doing well because like i i have these like spasming fits and like my body will just go crazy sometimes and it's really hard to fall asleep when you're twitching uncontrollably as you might yeah. <laughs> imagine um so yeah so you're li- you're living with like all these different layers of things going on all of these layers of pain on top of medical gaslighting, on top of like some mystery about what's happening um how do you feel when you go to the doctor like, when you go to see a new doctor, because I know what the answer is going to be, but I want to hear someone else say it, because I can just feel it, you know, from your story. What is it like to go to a doctor for the first time and have to explain to them what you're living through and ask for help?
1: It's frustrating and scary, because you don't want to forget anything. And you also, like, as you're telling them, like, you can see in their face, like, oh, I don't think they believe me. <laughs> um and there's so much. And, like, they'll look at someone like me who's young, and they always say this, you're so young. How can you really have anything wrong with you? Or they give me that, if you are my daughter, and I'm like, just stop there. I'm not your daughter. I'm a patient, and it's real. Yeah. Um, so just, like, frustrated. So I try to go prepared. I have a um, a list. Actually, I actually have an example of it's it's not a video, but I have a list <laughs> that I try to bring with me. I do have it in this notebook um, somewhere, but I have like every medication that I've tried, what natural things have I tried, like exercise, because they always want to bring that up, exercise, physical therapy. Um, I have like a million massage tools at home. Like I have a massage chair on my couch. Um, I have like those mats that are, Uh, I think they're called a flower mat or an acupressure mat where you lay on them and they um, increase your circulation and they're supposed to relieve pain. Mm. I do use those. Like I try to bring a list of like everything that I possibly do or have tried Um, like acupuncture tubes because they bring that up or like the chiropractor, like everything I bring that list. And sometimes I'll just hand it to them, especially when I'm getting really frustrated with the visit. And I also include daily tasks that I have trouble with because it's literally everything So the last doctor that I showed this to, he was an older man and he was giving me that you're so young, you know, blah, blah, blah. If you were my daughter and he wasn't believing me, I think this was like my second visit with him too. So I showed him the list and he went, he read it and he went, oh my God, this makes me want to cry. And I was like, yes, but did he help me? No. He told me he couldn't see me anymore. Why? Oh yeah. That was funny. Um, I had been seeing ortho too, because I was in a car accident and, um, I was getting an injection and his office was also going to give me an, an injection, but my, like my other appointment was first and I'd known that office longer and like, I wasn't so sure about his, but so anyway, I got the injection from ortho and then I called his office to say, oh, I don't need the injection I had it from this doctor. I just need like a regular office appointment. And they're like, no, he won't see you. It was almost like a jealous, like a jealousy thing. I'm like, what do you mean? He won't see me. I've been seeing them both this whole time and they, like I could hear that he was in the background telling them no. And they were like, well, insurance will get confused. And I was like, no, they won't. I have a million doctors and I've been seeing both of them this whole time. Like, trust me, my insurance like knows me by now. Like I have a specialist for everything. What are you talking about? Um, Like, it was just, I don't know the real reason other than jealousy is what I can say. I think it was and, or that he didn't know what to do because his plan didn't work for me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, man, Ugh. Ugh, it's so hard. It's just like, what do you do when you go to the people that you're supposed to go to to get help and they won't help you? You know, that that's it's cry. just it's yeah, You cry, you curl up in a ball, and you weep. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It's just like we need to have clinics, you know, like we need to have specialty clinics that understand these types of situations and help and i know that those things exist but the ones that i've been to i was treated terribly so um, yeah so i don't know we just need we need something we need something to change and i you know i really hope that by like collecting stories and sharing stories we can all kind of support each other and help each other you know something that i've been thinking about as you've been talking is the fact that going through what you've gone through is like sort of this rite of passage to get doctors to listen to you where it's like you have the list you have the notebook you have the experience the test results the Mm -hmm. the chart everything you've done everything right you know and then so the next doctor you see the chance of them taking you seriously is higher because the first time you go in and this is from my experience anyway. The first time I go in, yeah. like, doctors don't listen to you. Second time you go in, uh, doctors will look at the notes from the first time, and they'll the first time says, oh, I think he's just stressed. So, then they won't listen to you. Um, yes, and then it's the, always
1: stress or anxiety, and you're like, No, it's
0: not totally. So, then after like going through that cycle 15 or 20 times, you go see a behavioral psychologist who will say, This is not a behavioral issue, um, this is not stress or anxiety, this is a medical issue. Please go back to the doctor. And then you go back to the doctor, and they say, Well, I'm out of ideas, so I'm gonna send you someone new. And then you go to that new person. And then for me, it was like, Well, I can't figure this out, so I think maybe you have something that's not cataloged by medical science. So, like, oh you my god. You, you you jump from like someone being unwilling to help you to doctors saying oh wow yeah this is obviously uh too complicated and i can't help you it's like th- 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 from unwilling to unable and there's like no middle ground uh but then so then where i went from there is just like just keep trying keep trying keep trying and the way that doctors treated me changed tremendously because you know the more i tried the more we found on my test results and you know the more I tried, the more compassion I received from people because I was also getting worse. Showing up in a wheelchair doesn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and like, all of a sudden, now doctors are taking me seriously. And I felt like I had, to, I had to prove myself for, like, over a decade and go to, like, dozens and dozens of doctors to get to the point where they're willing to sit down and actually do the thing they should have done in the first place, which is run some tests beyond... The average blood tests and, you know, an MRI and, like, like, checking for MS and all that stuff. Like, I've been checked for MS so many times. I don't have MS. We can stop checking for MS, you know? We can start looking for other things, please. And now I'm finally getting tested for other things. And, like, the floodgates have opened. It's like, there's so many diseases I've never been tested for that fit my symptoms. Why have I not received this care? You know, it's because you have to prove yourself because the system is broken so you've That's done so- that you know you've gone through that you've already done it and you're at this place now where, where the next doctor you see the chance of you getting help i think is is going to start to go up and it might not happen the next time or the time after that but like every time you go in you're raising your chances of finding the right doctor
1: i guess i didn't think about it like that thank you yeah
0: yeah Well, in the meantime, we have to live, you know, you have to have a life. So how do you, how do you live inside of all of this turmoil and pain? Um, (laughs) What, what has helped you? What has worked for you?
1: Um, So lately I've been trying to just figure out like, what can I do on my own? I use um, like the Biofreeze roll on. Um, I go through those like crazy. I use the acupressure mass, like the massage chair that I have. Um, That's a good question. Uh, Okay, so I'm sitting on something right now that I just bought. And I only got it yesterday. It's called a grounding mat. And I think the idea is that it's supposed to use like a currency to mimic like what the earth gives you if you walked barefoot on it. Hmm. Um, I don't know, it sounds kind of crazy. But then again, I'm here in a lot of pain, So I'm just right. So I got it yesterday. And I did feel, I did have a lot more energy yesterday than usual. So I figured I would sit on it during our interview. So we'll see how that goes. Um, (laughs) I have a foam roller that I use. I have like all these little devices hidden everywhere in my house. Like next to my couch, I have like a little bin of tools. And then I have one next to my bed. Um, I don't know, trying to focus on what I can do is a big thing because like I've learned that I can't rely on doctors, but I guess on the other hand, I have learned better how to advocate for myself. Um, whether it's in the appointment or calling the doctor back and saying like, no, this is what I have. And this is what I need. Um, I also like, I do try to bring someone with me to my appointments because that helps to have another person saying like, no, they are in pain for me. It's usually my mom because they will respect her a little bit more because she's in the medical profession. Yeah. As awful as that is. Um, And just like trying to distract myself sometimes, like, at night when I can't fall asleep or I'm in a lot of pain, I try to distract myself with like a show or sometimes it's TikTok. Um, I mean, having that community definitely helps um, like watching other people's videos and seeing their tips or just like the humor with like how we get through it. I guess humor is a huge, a huge way that I get through it.
0: Yeah, totally. I I love all that stuff. I'm so big on distraction therapy. I talk (laughs) about it all the time. I love, I love distracting myself because it's one of the best ways to, get your mind out of the pain, you know, like I always have a podcast on or, um, Mm -hmm. you know, if I, if I'm in a place where I have to lie down and I can't do anything, I will play video games or watch a show or listen to a podcast or do whatever it takes to keep my mind busy. So I'm not just sitting there going, oh, I'm in pain all the time, you know, because that's, that's the default. Um, And it sounds like you have some really important people in your life that you lean on, you know, having a mother that's a nurse is huge. It's like, it's like bringing a cop to your own arraignment, you know?
1: (laughs) It is, it is. And my mom likes to do this thing where she, if we don't know the doctor or if they don't know her, um, she will come in and just sit there quietly and not say anything. And she never says she's a nurse, but then when they start speaking down to her, she will say something and then they're like, oh, what do you do for work? And then she's like, oh, I'm a nurse anesthetist. And then like, they're like, oh, and then they are a little nicer.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, man. We're we're really fighting a battle here.
1: <laughs> oh, it's a war.
0: Yeah, it's a war. It's a war for sure. It's a war for your own survival, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's harder than it should be, but it is hard and you got to keep fighting. Is there anything in your story that we have missed? I know you prepared so well and you have these great notes. Is there anything that, that you'd like to bring up that we haven't talked about?
1: Um, there is one more thing. I just wrote it down because yeah. I was, I was going to forget again. And it's ironic because it's a concussion. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, which actually, so I've had quite a few concussions since I was young. Um, I had one maybe two weeks ago. Hold on. I'm trying to remember how it happens. Um,
0: (laughs) That's a good sign. I,
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know it's definitely been lingering. Oh, so the house that I live in has like these really old floors. And so when you go up to the next level, the floorboards are like dropped at a certain point. So I'm coming up from the basement with laundry and I hit my head really hard on the board yeah. um, and I ended up going to actually ended up going to bed and just like going to sleep and trying to go to work the next day. And I was like pretty sure I had a concussion, but I was trying not to. <laughs> so I ended up leaving work and going to urgent care and they're like, no, you have a concussion. Um, and I ended up having to go to the ER. They ended up sending me there and I have um, I'm getting an MRI next week i think i did one while i was in but i'm getting like a different one in a few weeks um yeah i've been dizzy and my head's been hurting yeah and i'm forgetting things
0: yeah concussions are no joke you know especially repeated concussions
1: no yeah this is like my fourth or fifth maybe Wow, it's like a joke with my family like i sent everyone a text like guess who has another concussion
0: oh, no yeah, there's definitely some research being done into that. And it's another – I mean, the body is just such a mystery, you know? Like, it's, it's bizarre because we know so much about how the body works. We know so much. We've uncovered so many diseases. So much science has been done about, like, you know, if you have this protein or this antibody in your blood, it can cause this and do that. But then, like, so much of the basics we're just so confused by still, you know? Like, uh, yeah. there's – so much and there's so many things that are too similar we're trying to find a specific diagnosis you know most of the people that i talk to have chronic pain brain fog um you know tingling feelings uh there's just so many things that cross over so many different illnesses um people with different diagnoses people who are undiagnosed so you know it it is overwhelming to think about being a doctor and trying to figure out what's going on with people like us but we yeah. need them to try, you know. We need know. them to try, and that's okay. all we're asking for. <laughs> well,
1: you, uh, you, you mentioned brain fog. I forgot have that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: wow, that is the best description of brain fog I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh. Well, my last question for you, if you could send a message to yourself back in time and give yourself some words of encouragement for the horrible journey that you're going to embark on with doctors, what would you tell yourself?
1: Okay, so I would tell myself that I know my body best, that I need to advocate for myself and for my pain. I'd tell myself not to be quiet and not to let them gaslight me.
0: Yeah, that's really good advice. You know, you know yourself, believe yourself, trust yourself, advocate for yourself. Those are really important things to keep in mind. Well, I have to say, this has been an absolute blast. I have loved talking to you so much. You know, I... Sometimes I feel crazy that I enjoy talking to other people about horrible things as much as I do, but <laughs> but it's just so fun, you know? I just I just love hearing that someone else has been through the things that I have and, you know, it just really helps to feel less crazy and less alone and, you know, less isolated in my own health journey. So, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be on the show.
0: Yeah, my absolute pleasure. Is there anything you'd like to plug? Anything you'd like to direct our listeners towards?
1: I do have a TikTok page. You can follow me. It's K-E Hamel, H-A-M-E-L. Um, I post chronic illness content there, some humor, um, some informational things. My first video that went viral kind of helps healthy people understand what, what we go through. It was about spoon theory. Um, so follow me on there if you want.
0: Awesome. Absolutely. I will tag you on TikTok. And uh, are you on Instagram as well?
1: Oh, I am. Yes. Okay,
0: great. I'll tag you there as well. So if uh listeners of the show can have a quick and easy way to find you. Thank
1: you. I'm excited.
0: Yeah, Kristen, thank you so much for another fantastic episode. Thank you for sharing your story. And please keep me updated on your journey. I I feel like you're gonna get answers. You know, I it sound it definitely sounds like there's a piece of the puzzle missing, but you have some evidence. You have A direction to look and I know that I just I have a feeling you're gonna find it just keep pushing and keep looking Um, yeah and thank you so much for sharing your story and your time with us today
1: thank you so much
0: thanks for listening to this episode of major pain I'm Jesse mercury your host and the producer of this podcast artwork by egg salad salad our theme music is the song time machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com.